Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here in the podcast studios with Sebastian Modak, who's an editor for Traveler, Aaron Florio, also an editor for Traveler. We have Cynthia Drescher, who's a writer and an editor for us, and she is Skyping in from the Netherlands. Cynthia, is that where you are? Almere in the Netherlands. Omer in the Netherlands. We never know with you, and people who've listened to the podcast before know, you are everywhere all the time. So we have right. to pin you down um, on a moment-by-moment basis. And we have a very special guest today. We have Laura Redman, again, our Deputy Digital Director. She's making a very special appearance, Skyping in from New Jersey. She's out on maternity leave. Thank you for coming in, Laura. Thank you for joining us for this. But we also dared not do this podcast without you because this is part two of our How to Plan Your Trip to Asia podcast. We did part one several weeks ago, and this one is yet another in our series of podcasts on request. This one was inspired by at Propel Kate, who reached out to us to help make a decision about where she was going to go on her honeymoon. I think we ended up planning her entire honeymoon we're, like day by day. She, we, she's got to tune in. We told her we were going to do it yeah. now. So what were her choices? She's trying to choose between South Africa and Vietnam, right? right. Two very different choices. Two very different choices. Okay. And she had been to South Africa, I think, right? Right. Uh, yeah. She revealed that after I plunged in and said, go to South Africa. And she said, <laughs> I've already been to South Africa, dude. So we had a debate and we convinced her to go, or you guys convinced her to go to Vietnam. So at Propel Kate should be tuning in, and we are about to do it for you at Propel Kate. I think we're about to give her too many options. We're about to give her too many <laughs> yeah, options. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to stray from Vietnam. I'm just going to yeah. let you know that, too. In part one, just to recap quickly, we covered a bunch of places, so you should go back and listen to that because we're not going to try to replicate that. We said, don't go during Chinese New Year. That was one thing, but do go just before or just after. Covered cherry blossom season in Japan, and we covered Tokyo, Kyoto, And I actually did go to Tokyo and Kyoto after that, and it was fantastic. So thumbs up. We also talked about visiting the Great Wall during a layover through Beijing. We talked about not trying to do too much as you go. That was one of our key recommendations. We talked about Indonesia, did a lot of work on Indonesia. We talked about Thailand. And then Laura did a trademark uh, itinerary uh, (laughs) that is reversible. That's one of the great things about it. Started in Hong Kong going through Macau, Cambodia, and or Thailand to Singapore. And you can also spin that record backwards and go Singapore, Cambodia, Thailand, Macau, And because it's Laura, that's all in the span of four days. Uh, Yeah, that was the four-day version. (laughs) It was maybe 10, all right? (laughs) And don't ever ask me for my Australia-New Zealand itinerary, which was 11 flights in 17 days. So (laughs) word of warning, anyone listening, anytime I open my mouth, this is before I had a baby, we traveled like junkies. We were crazy. We're excited to see how that changes now that you do have a baby. Um, So now we're going to take it up from there. There are a few things that we can update people about, but you guys all, when we finished the last podcast, had much more to say. And Asia, obviously, like gigantic, 60% of humanity, 60% of the earth. Let's start with Kate's request because we didn't really get into Vietnam too much last time. So maybe we can start with Vietnam and help her figure out where she should be hanging out in Vietnam. Well, for me, the thing about Vietnam is I think a lot of people try to fit it in on a whirlwind Laura trip. (laughs) Being like, I'm going to (laughs) do Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam in one trip. And I think each of those countries is worth its own trip. But if there is one of those three that's worth spending like a full two weeks in, I think it's Vietnam. And the reason why is because, you know, you have this very long kind of skinny country that goes the whole way up. And it's a really great opportunity to do a cross-country south to north or north to south. I've done south to north trip and you slowly see the landscape change, the culture change slightly, the food change. So for me, like, you know, a dream trip that I did was that trip where, you know, started in Ho Chi Minh City in Saigon. You get that flair, that crazy uh, kind of chaos of Saigon. Work your way up to Nha Trang, the beach area. Nha Trang's cool, but it's also being very hyper-developed these days. There's like all these giant resorts popping up. But if you're doing it in like a road trip format, it gives you the opportunity to pull off on random beaches and you'll find just like a little shack that serves the most delicious seafood meal you've had in your life. It's literally caught that morning. I mean, just to speak for Kate, like, are the resorts good? Is it good resort or bad They're resort? They're good resorts. Yeah. There's, there's nice hotels opening up there. Yeah, and another thing on that, that there, you know, Vietnam was so close to tourists for so long, so the infrastructure that's moved in is sort of like the last 20 years, so it's very fresh. It feels very new 
And you had these great like backpacker places like Hoi An, which are now right. actually resort places for people that are going on their honeymoon or somebody that wants to throw down a little bit of extra cash and have more of a special experience. Um, you've got places like Amman, Anantara, Four mm. Seasons that have all moved in there. So it's kind of like it can kind of have hit the high and the low note in a really effective way, right? Yeah. And Hoi An, Cynthia, I know you were just there, so feel free to chime right. in. Even though it is one of the top tourist spots and the town kind of caters around that, you can tell, you know, it's all the lantern shops and things like that that make for great photographs. And they have that nice light festival, right? Yeah, and like the the canals and a huge Mm -hmm. tailoring scene. You can get like anything made for nothing in no time. It feels like an opium dream or something. Mm -hmm. It's just like so like nowhere else I've ever seen. Would you agree, Cynthia? I would say it's like I've been explaining it to my friends as like the Epcot version of Vietnam. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, no, that doesn't sound good. Mm. Well, no, and I mean, you get like the best kind of skimmed off and you can experience it quite quickly. If you're only there for a little while, you know, just I would just go straight to Hoi An if you want to get the pretty photos and you want to mm-hmm. eat the street foods and you want to kind of stay out of the melee that you find in Saigon mm-hmm. and, and up north in Hanoi. So and you can fly in to Da Nang, which is one of the three airports in Vietnam that allows for visa on arrival. Mm-hmm. So if you arrive at Saigon, Hanoi or Da Nang, those are the only three that will give you the visa at the airport. So long as you've put in over the internet prior and paid your 17 or $25 fee in advance. Yeah, so like on that kind of south to north road or rail trip, or if you even take flights part of the way, Hoi An is kind of like your breather. You know, things are a lot chiller. It's a little more manicured. It's easier to navigate. And then you can like work your way up through Hue, which is was like the old imperial capital. And you see that you see these kind of old imperial castles that are now riddled with like bullet holes from the war Mm -hmm. from the vietnam war and just like you see all that history in one place basically eventually making your way up to hanoi which is one of my favorite cities in the world why do you love it it has the same frenzy of saigon i don't know maybe the food the street food the fact that it's the capital and so you see a little bit of that as well you see the the communism you know the propaganda posters and all it feels very like the vietnam that of a lot of people's Mm -hmm. imaginations but it's it's beautiful too let me ask you something do you like big chaotic cities but you know in general yes but you didn't like jakarta i loved jakarta i I wouldn't recommend you didn't recommend i wouldn't recommend it for a tourist it's not everybody's cup of tea that type of a asian city but hanoi is different in that sense i think hanoi is worth visiting as a tourist and i have a question Um, for you if let's say people are going on their honeymoon realistically is it easy and comfortable to move around the country from north to south or is it sort of like cool if you're a backpacker but might be an inconvenience otherwise if it was a honeymoon i'd recommend flights so Mm -hmm. i'd recommend like you know saigon then you fly into like cynthia said like da nang or you know around there and then up to hanoi two domestic flights what about getting around like between da nang and hoi an how are you doing that are you Da Nang, Hue, and Hoi An are all pretty close, aren't yeah. they? Or is Da Nang a little farther yeah, north? No, Da Nang's your gateway to Hoi An and, and Hue. And like those are things you can take if you're not comfortable driving in a place like this. You get a driver. You get a driver, yeah. or you take. Right. There are there are like tourist focused buses that aren't, you know, local buses that are easy to take, and they'll take you for a day trip to Hue or to Hoi An. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to like make kind of mini hubs in your trip, and then use those to explore. Like Hanoi, there's countless options to take you to Haolong Bay, which is that mm-hmm. that postcard you've all seen of the boats in the in the bay. I love Haolong Bay, by the way. Can I just say, Hanoi for me was my very first entry point into Vietnam. I did the north to south, mm-hmm. Seb. And my favorite part of Hanoi is the French Quarter where, you know, you get pho and delicious pastries on the same corner and you can sit on a plastic stool on a street corner and drink like a a penny beer and it's amazing and you meet all these people but it can get overwhelming if it's your very first time there because it you know you cross the street on foot into traffic you just have to kind of cross your fingers and hope everyone goes around you that's how you cross and Helong bay is this kind of idyllic you get on a chinese junk boat it's only four hours from hanoi to Helong bay and you go overnight on a chinese junk and the mist rolls in and there are these giant limestone karsts that rise out of the water. And this water used to be mined during the wars, right? But now you can, you know, ride the junk and go diving off of it and go swimming or you can go into these caves nearby. And like you said, it's really postcard perfect. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite things we did in Vietnam. Yeah. What about you, Cynthia? Are you a city person or is Hanoi not your cup of tea? 
Um, I like to do a few days deep into a city and then peace out for the beach for one or two days, which means Hanoi. Um, well, not Hanoi. Sorry. Hoi An is actually perfect because that has the beach is about 15 minutes away by car or by moped or by bike if you 45 minutes. And that is where Four Seasons put their first location in Vietnam. Have you visited that? Visited the Four Seasons? No, it was still an opening pro. Like it used to be called the Nam Hai, and so then they totally redid it and did it up in Four Seasons grand style. And it was in the process of reopening when I was in Hoi An. Just, just to, I think it was last in January. Year. Yeah, it was. It didn't. It wasn't too long yeah. ago they reopened as Four Seasons. Right. So, Kate, if you're say, listening, like maybe six months. Kate, if you're listening, that could be a good option if you're looking for that sort of Four Seasons type experience while you're in Hoi An. I'm curious if you guys, if any of you, spent any time on the Mekong. When I've seen the stories that we've published about cruising the Mekong, it's, yeah, that's it's what a I'm dream. coming from yeah, because it seems like I haven't kind done of an it, amazing but it's thing. something I'd love to do. Yeah, 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 yeah there's somewhere yet. I have not been. Yeah, yeah and I mean, speaking specifically about the Mekong, but river cruising in general is just such a nice way to see a destination because it allows you to approach various, whether it's villages or temples, in a way like physically that you can't reach them otherwise, and. We had a rider recently, I think it was about a year ago, do the Aqua Expeditions trip on the Mekong. And the way that she writes about how you approach the temples or the way the temples are seen and viewed from the water, that is a vantage point you can't get when you approach them by land, is like sort of worth it in and of itself for is like yeah. the case alone for doing that type of a trip. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like I'm not a cruising person. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't catch me, neither, me but on a giant cruise ship, but this is just like a different world. Like it's smaller, it's you know, right? It's like smaller boats. It's so more like, intimate yeah. and it's more cu- I mean, I hate using this word, but it's more There's no karaoke curated involved, and you know. It's more in, it's just it's more intimate and it, yeah, it's uh it's there's a lot of benefits to seeing a destination by river cruise. Yeah, I think that's kind of why I asked because mm-hmm. that's Anna Funder's piece. Exactly. Um, if you guys are looking for it on the site, it's titled Why Southeast Asia's Mekong Delta Should Be Your Next Cruise Destination. And it paints this picture for you that's kind of magical. And it, it really is the kind of thing that if you are going to take a trip to this region or if you're thinking about a river cruise, this seems like a terrific option and, and, and a kind of a very different way to see a lot of the country that totally. you're just talking and, about. So. And getting back to that point earlier, you know, the cruising provides your form of transportation. Yeah. So if the roads or the infrastructure on land are more difficult to access to these little villages that you can come across on the river, the river cruise ticks that box for you, too. So it's actually a practical way of doing it as well. Which is another great point for Kate if she's listening, right? This is another option for you is to make this part or a big piece of your trip. Let me ask you guys a question about Vietnam because much as I wanted to take my son to Japan, and we did, and he loved it, had a great time. What should I do? What would you recommend that I do or think about? And I know none of you have traveled with kids, so that's cool. Like, you don't have to speak from experience. But is this the kind of place where I should get a fixer? Or, like, if I'm, if I'm going to all the places we've talked, including Hanoi, including Saigon, should I be trying to get hooked up with somebody who can kind of guide me around? Or is it kind of a self-navigable place, given that I have, like, a 9-year-old or a 10-year-old in, in tow? I mean, I don't have a kid, but I traveled as a kid. Yeah, you did. <laughs> It's going to be overwhelming at times, especially in Hanoi. But I also, I don't know, Laura, maybe you disagree, but like I found it not a hard city to like walk around in. There's parks, you know, it didn't feel like, like, like you said, crossing the road. It's, it's a, it's an adventure every single time. But (laughs) in terms of like actually moving around the city and finding your way around, like we had a guidebook and we went, you know, we saw Ho Chi Minh's tomb. We saw, you know, all these things that a kid, I think, would be pretty fascinated by it too. I feel like Vietnam is occupying that space between not needing a fixer and it might be a good idea it kind of you could swing both ways with vietnam Mm -hmm. i think that the tourism industry there is stable and developed enough that once you get there you can figure things out for yourself however you know there will always be those things that you're going to feel are a little bit more off limits to you especially if this is your first time in asia which is kind of the point of this podcast as right. well yes where it might be a good idea or you might feel better about it but it's not a it's not a definite in the way that it would be say i would say uh myanmar would be far more important place to have that mm-hmm. person on the ground who can help you the specialist the fix or whatever you want to call them because it's a much younger country in terms of opening up to tourism and the infrastructure is just not there yet so I I would say you definitely I I wouldn't go on record as saying get the fixer but I'm not going to fault you if you do it for Vietnam you'll be fine if you don't yeah Yeah, I agree with that Um, personally Brad I would not bring a kid there until he or she was older I think they would get more out of it 
Hoi An might feel like an Epcot of Vietnam. That's really nicely put, Cynthia, but it's still very adult. Um, you're going for food, you're going for the tailoring, um, the, being on a boat in Halong Bay, that's a fun kid activity. But you're also going to the communist museums in Hanoi, and um, you can give them that education as early as you want. But mm-hmm. I think it's a little harder of a trip. The other problem we had, and this was a while ago, like granted, like 10 years ago when we encountered this, but there was something called Sin Cafe when we were there. And it was the tour group we were working with in Hanoi. There were four or five duplicate sin cafes around the city with subtle differences that were fakes, that were ripoffs. So the sign. <laughs> they black marketed the cafes, you know? Yeah, straight up. You know, like they plagiarized themselves, That's right? amazing. It's like frit a manger. <laughs> <laughs> so if you may come across more instances like that, it might not be as bad anymore, but you have to be, it's an on your toes travel. And I don't think you would come across that if you went to Hong Kong, Singapore, Bali, even Bali is easier. Mm-hmm. T- most of Thailand would be easier too. Vietnam's kind of like second level. I mean, there's a scrappiness to Vietnam that's yeah. still there for sure, right? Um, but I think, like I said, it, it occupies a space between the more developed and the emerging. But can I tell you, food is kind of one of the big reasons I would want to go, right? And when we took him to Tokyo, we asked him what his favorite part of the entire trip was, and he was like, the food. Well, oh, if that's, that's the case, I mean, cool. I'll, I'll yeah. <laughs> don't get me started on food. I think, <laughs> please. <laughs> well, Vietnam is for you've cheap, eaten everywhere. I know. For, no, I'm saying for cheap. I've eaten the best anywhere in the world. Vietnam's Agreed. where I ate the best, and you're not going to get sick either because a lot of what makes the food so good are that the, all the ingredients are so fresh. Yeah. When you eat seafood, you're eating it like on the beach, and it was caught by the fisherman mm-hmm. who's serving it and to you. And you literally that see them take it off the boat and then yeah. prepare and give it. And to like you. you know, there's a lot of focus even at street food level on like hygiene and vegetables and stuff like that, and the freshness of the vegetables and the produce that they give you. And there's like a simplicity to the cuisine where it's like like a beautiful simplicity to the cuisine where it's like hard to fuck up and make you sick. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, in terms of eating, I feel like there are a few destinations like Vietnam because you'll just, I mean, every meal I had was like revelatory. It's also such a reflection of the palate of the child, though, if you're speaking specifically to a child. I, I also traveled very extensively around Asia and I am so, as a, as a kid, and I'm so embarrassed to admit it, but the one thing I, I didn't like the whole time, because I'd never properly been exposed to it, even though I was living in Asia as a child, was the food. And I just, I had no appreciation for Mm. it. And of course, now I look back on that and I'm so embarrassed for that very reason. Now I would book a plane ticket tomorrow just to eat alone through these, through these countries. So I think it, it, comes it's down to funny. the open-mindedness like of the child. Because yeah. like, I feel like my taste buds were built in Asia. And it's, and mine were, and it's so funny because mine were too, because that was where I, I lived until I was nine years old. Um, but as a result, I just didn't want to eat the food. I wanted Western food. But it's, um, I guess it just comes down to the, the, the individual kid. Yeah. Kids are very particular mm-hmm. about those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, a few months ago was actually my first time to Vietnam. So when I arrived, I didn't quite know where to start in terms of tasting all the food. I'd heard all of the praises, you know, as you guys are singing right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't I don't know where to go. I don't know what to have first. I'm overwhelmed. So I went on Viator to viator.com and I picked out a food tour and it was excellent in that it was um, you start with like sample portions and you're shown the best most local restaurants you know the favorites of the guide who lives in the city and knows where to go and they also have arrangements with these family-run restaurants where they already have your table ready and they'll give you sample sized portions and if you love it then you can buy up to have a full meal Dude, I think that's amazing. Yeah. That I'm sounds going to perfect. Tasting like 40 different things over the course of the food tour. Yeah, that sounds terrific. Yeah, one of the places we went to was Anthony Bourdain's favorite banh mi restaurant. Mm-hmm. Was that but the place he the took f- Obama to? No, Obama. That famous, okay. Uh, <laughs> that photo is circulated a lot. But that's an actual restaurant, right, where you sit down, but it originated as a food cart in the market. And so that still exists. And our guide was able to show us that and take us there to compare. I mean, again, it comes back to your point, Aaron. It's like, which way do you lean? Do you get the specialist or the fixer or do you not? And I sort of feel like that's an argument. I mean, I know well, that's that Viator. That was a tour group as yeah. opposed to like a hyper specialist that you're no, working with from start to tailoring a trip, start to finish. So yeah. I think actually that that makes a good point, though. There is that sort of secondary infrastructure in place where if you don't go with the fixer, you still have people on the ground you can trust right. to get you the places you For want like to be. In a more piecemeal approach. So you yeah. can like do a food tour. You can yeah. like get yeah. a tour of historic tour of Hoya or something, yeah. you know, yeah. like. 
mm-hmm. give and, you some structure. And again, like that is something that for listeners, we want to give you permission to do this, like reach out, get a specialist, get somebody to help you. I tried to do that. You do run into problems. It's different. It sounds like it's very different in Vietnam from in Tokyo. But when we were in Tokyo, we did run into a problem where if you don't speak Japanese, it's very difficult to book some of the restaurants. Mm-hmm. You can do it through hotels, but if you're not staying in hotels, you can't do that. And we did try to get hooked up with a food fixer, so to speak, like somebody who could basically do what Cynthia just described on a kind of individualized basis and hook us up with restaurants. And we weren't quite able to do it because we got on it too late in the game. But again, like would have been tremendously helpful, even in a city like Tokyo, where there's tremendous infrastructure, but there's also just A, a lot of demand, B, restaurants are small, they only order a certain amount of food because they want to keep it fresh. They have really high standards. And so if you show up and they've got the tables booked for later in the evening, they're not letting you in because you're going to eat somebody else's food, basically. Um, Getting somebody who can help you navigate that kind of thing in these cities could be helpful from a number of different perspectives other than just sort of like, I don't speak the language. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is there anything else we want to give to Kate about Vietnam and her honeymoon there? When would you go? What time of year? I mean, you wouldn't want to go during the rainy season, which is our which is summer, which our is summer. June through November. Right. Um, Although, if that's the only time you go, I feel like all I ever got was just a massive downpour every day at 3 p.m. Yeah. Totally. Right. And then, and then it'd be okay. And then it clears. Which is kind of like <laughs> yeah. cool to behold. Which I guess know, is what happens in any sort of tropics yeah. hugging country. Right. But um, you said uh, June to November, Aaron? That's generally when the rainy season is, I, I, don't, I don't believe. Remember. Cynthia, how was it when you were there? Yeah, January is perfect. Just go in January. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> January. Easier. That's it. Done. done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, where would you tempt Kate to go if it were not Vietnam? Yeah. Great question. Okay. Ooh. I want to say Taiwan. Mm. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I've never been. Yeah. And I've, again, food is the reason food I want to go. And yeah. I have to say, I was just. Uh, out with somebody who's from Taiwan and is well-traveled all over Asia, has lived there, they said the street food in Taipei is better than anywhere else in That's all of well Asia. Heard, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So actually, if you already have your honeymoon planned, there's this new concept that's trending now called the early moon, <laughs> right? Where you get engaged and you're like, oh, let's God. go travel because we're engaged. Yeah. Taiwan is the perfect place for that because you're thrown together. You're eating like really cute meals on the street at night. There's tons of cute photography opportunities. And actually I went down the south to the city of Kaohsiung and they have a whole street there that's named Wedding Cake Street. And it's just shop after shop of of wedding dress boutique, wedding cake store. Cynthia, I have a question. Has Wedding Cake Street become like a destination for people that live in other Asian nations to go to when they're planning a wedding? I think it's just for the whole of Taiwan at this point. Maybe, now. yeah, <laughs> right. It now that I've, that I've told everyone else about <laughs> it. Because there's that, but then you also have the wedding photographers have their studios there. And because there's this mass of wedding-focused tourism in Kaohsiung, the parks have built little structures where you can go have your photos taken. And there will be lines of people in their wedding outfits, <laughs> hour-long lines to be... <laughs> To just be photographed at this one spot, you know. It sounds a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. We got, just, we got early moons. Yeah. Well, so we've got we've got the honeymoon. Now we've got to go to the early moon. So now we should we have the buddy moon, the moon too. Buddy moon, the bu- baby oh, moon. But just uh, a, just a just a I, plug. Just a plug. <laughs> get let's get some visits, people. So Jordy, who was on the first edition of the Asia podcast, did a piece for us on the phenomenon of early moons just this month, uh, actually yesterday. <laughs> so check that out. I think on any of these, whether it's like a buddy moon, honeymoon, whatever, if you're going to Southeast Asia from the U.S., how long do you go for? I know, okay, not four days like I do. Do you go for two weeks? Is that appropriate? I think two weeks minimum. I have done um, an Asia trip that's lasted me 10 days, and I felt like that was the least amount of time I'm that gonna, you could go without it, without kind of it feeling really taxing. I'm about to do like eight days in Japan. Okay. That's what I did. That's what I did. What are you doing though? What, what is, what's your itinerary? I think it's Tokyo, Kyoto, and somewhere rural that we haven't chosen yet. But yeah. I think it's also, listen, these days with all of the different flight routes and the fact that you can kind of get on one, like you get on in New York and you get off at the destination you sort of want to stay in. It's, it's, 
it makes it a lot easier. I think it was when there was a lot of layovers and changing planes and not very convenient flight schedules, that was kind of more of a hindrance to going for a shorter amount of time. Mm. You know, and actually, that actually brings me to a point that I wanted to bring up, which is when people travel to Asia from the States, a lot of the big carriers, Emirates and Qatar Airways, they offer those free layover programs. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling like it's such a strenuous task just to get there, uh, it's nice to know you can take a breather somewhere on your way to Asia and get a little vacation on on top of your vacation. So that's always a nice thing to consider as well. What do you do about hearing about countries in the news, right? Like I know Bangkok has turmoil kind of constantly on and off, but I would still tell people to go to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Um, Korea, is now the time to go to South Korea or is it a little too... Great transition. I'm Aaron's so glad you brought that Way. First, Segway. First it's like of you, all, you know I love my segue. It's like you knew this. <laughs> yeah. First of all, um, I want to say that Korea is a country that's very close to my heart. And it's also, importantly, it's hosting the Olympics in February. So actually a lot of the world, uh, particularly the Asian community, I think, and a lot of the experts that live in Asia will be looking to go to Korea uh, this winter. I, uh, of course, we all know about it in the news. I personally feel I would never, ever, ever feel unsafe traveling into South Korea. You have to remember that the American government and the American military are so heavily involved with that country. They always have been since the 1950s. If there was ever going to be an issue, they would let us know. And I think it's completely fine. I am such an advocate of going to Seoul and going to Korea. And I don't think you should ever let the headlines restrain you from going. I definitely would not recommend going to North Korea. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, we're only talking about South Korea, of course. I, okay, wait, so once, let's be unless you're Dennis Rodman. None of us say I'm, to go to North yeah, Korea. Yeah, let's just make this right. a statement. None of us are advocating to go to North Korea. But, um, you know. I do think if you're Dennis Rodman, it's okay. Well, you know. Why is Dennis going, always by one. the way? What's this, his deal? Whatever. He's negotiating for yeah, the that's, president. That's a, uh, apparently. Uh, On right? behalf of yeah. a marijuana-based cryptocurrency or something? Isn't there some angle there? How many marijuana-based cryptocurrencies do we one. have? <laughs> right. I think one, and Rodman's the, the spokesperson. We're but getting I, off topic. Tell I, us I about South say, Korea. Okay, yes. South Korea. Korea. First of all, I do always think that Seoul is sort of this, you know, unsung, goes under the radar, great Asian city to go and visit. It, it has a fantastic food. It has fantastic nightlife. I mean, the Koreans can drink like no other. I've never honestly seen a culture that drinks more than the Koreans. It's, it's actually insane. You. Maybe the Irish. Maybe the Irish, yeah. But Seoul is such an interesting city because it has such this old world flavor to it while this new world flavor. And if you go, they they have the saying, and I'm going to misquote it. I can't remember if it's north of the river or south of the river, but north of the river is Europe because it's very old. It's been there for centuries and there's all these old Buddhist temples and palaces. And then south of the river is America where you get your sweeping highways, your billboards, your shopping malls. And it's really like a tale of two cities or a tale of two countries in one city. And another point I think is really great about Seoul, because there's been all of this American influence, you're much more likely to run into people with at least a conversant level of English, Mm. which to me is one of the most intimidating things about traveling to a big Asian city is you can't even read the the language, let alone speak it. And that's really jarring for a lot of people. Korea is a there's a lot more opportunity, I suppose, to run across somebody that can speak some English. Do you? you see what you see in Japan where there will be everything is written in Japanese, of course, yeah. but then in tiny lettering, there will be an English translation. There will be some of that. One place or a very noticeable omission to that is the subway system, which I have to say in mm. Seoul is absolutely excellent, very efficient, very clean, runs all hours. What I did as a little hack, the last time I was in Seoul, I memorized the caricatures from the Hangul, which is the Korean alphabet, that was always on the front of my train. So I always knew which one, and they're only about four or five. They're, they're not particularly long colored? words. So what it is is like there will be colored routes, but there might be different branches to the same okay. route. So you okay. need to know what sure. your end destination is. Sure. So I would memorize just that one word. So I always knew when my train was coming. And yeah. I never got it wrong. Um, so that's a little tip. But... Speaking specifically, Seoul is a great city to go to, great fashion, great food, which everybody knows about. But going into the Olympics, they have just engineered a high-speed train that will get you from Incheon Airport, which is the main hub for Korean Air, which is a great airline, to go hour and a half to take you to the 
east coast of Korea, which is where the Olympics is going to be. And they've really developed that area, expecting all of these travelers and tourists to come in. They've got a lot of new hotels going in there, a lot of new restaurants. They're trying, they've been very smart about their development for the Olympics to make it long lasting and to give mm -hmm. it longevity. So, um, you know, I think one of the things about Korea is people say, okay, we go to Seoul, but where would we go after Seoul? You mm -hmm. just don't know beyond Seoul. And right. that's, you know, Korea, that's a problem with their marketing. They need to do a better job of that. But I think they're using these Olympics as an opportunity to really crack that yeah. and to market other parts where you're going to go to these great Buddhist temples and you're going to go to these old Confucian societies that are outside of Seoul. So I think it's a really good opportunity for travelers to see more of the country. Now, Aaron, have you been to Busan? I have not. That's the second biggest city. It's on the coast. It's down the south. Um, I've heard really good things about it, especially from the bar scene and the food perspective. Right. Yeah. But Is I, that I a beach city too? It's on the coast, but I don't know if it qualifies as a beach city. I think that, uh -huh. that where the best beaches are actually in Korea, and Korea has a, like Japan, oddly has a nice surfing scene. Mm. Um, mm -hmm is this area, this region where the Olympics are going to be held. And one of the reasons they're developing it is because it has mountains for winter, beaches in summer, and some of the best beaches in all of the country. So that's where you'd want to go. That and also Jeju Island, which I know, I think we've covered yes, recently, right? Mm -hmm. Which is an island an hour flight from Seoul. It's uh, filled with temples, beautiful beaches. It's kind of like, is it Okinawa in Japan? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's sort of like Korea's version of that. And I feel like it's also a foodie destination as well. Uh, one of our former colleagues, Gina, raves about the food there. She um, has some family in Seoul as well. So she'd been there maybe a couple times. Gina, I'm sorry if I got that wrong. It's a Jeju? Or yeah. a Seoul is it? Yeah. I mean, Both. Yeah, yeah. I think that all of Korea is probably a foodie destination. Is, is the, yeah, that, I totally, the food is great. That totally tempts me and makes sense. But is the train a good way to get around? Yes, absolutely. So, in fact, all of the country was connected by high-speed rail. I mean, we all know the Japanese or get more attention, I suppose, for it, but the Koreans are just as good as the Japanese with the high-speed rail system. So you can travel from Seoul, which is very close to the North Korean border, so on the northwest part of the country, to Busan, which is southeast, so pretty much the longest stretch of the country you can go, and it will take you just two hours on high-speed train. And the entire country, really, all the places you'd want to be are connected by high-speed train. The one place that wasn't was, oddly, this place where the Olympics are being held. Hmm. And one of the impetus for, for winning the Olympic bid was to develop that, to bring people into that corridor. So now, yeah, all of the all of the country really And just is. to, again, be the naive, or the neophyte in the room, in Japan, I took the Shinkansen, the high-speed train. It's an experience unto itself, right, for Americans, because we don't have this kind of thing here. Mm -hmm. It actually even exists in Europe. There's TGVs in France and in Italy. And I would highly recommend to people that if you're there, it is a great way to get around. It really shortens distance. It's a great alternative to flying between sort of big cities like this. And it's just, it's so comfortable. It's very civilized. Yeah. That's the thing is like, it's as rapid as you hear that it is. Mm -hmm. To go from... Tokyo to Kyoto, which is quite a distance in a very short period of time, is kind of amazing. Uh, but the experience itself is really great, and I, I think it's worth doing if you're in one of these countries, even just for itself, just for the experience itself, because mm -hmm. you can't get it at home. It's another yeah, one. Yeah, and ex exactly. They told me they're so they're going to be running this high speed train between Seoul and. Um, Pyeongchang, where the Olympics are going to be held 32 times a day. It only takes one hour to get there. Wow. It used to take four hours. I remember as a child, that's where I used to go skiing when I was a child, and we would sit on a bus for four-plus hours, and it was a miserable experience, even though the skiing was great. So it's even if you're staying in Seoul, you can do a day trip there and come back or whatever. So it just it really opens up so much. Totally, yeah. Well, so the Korean Tourism Board is agreeing with you in that <laughs> tourists should get out of Seoul and explore yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. And they just launched a new service called the K-Shuttle, which is a foreigner-only bus tour that you can do. And they have a bunch of different routes online you can book. And they guarantee English-speaking guides. And they'll basically pick you up in Seoul. And you can go as near as Incheon and just see the actual city of Incheon outside of the airport, obviously. <laughs> or they can take you to Pyeongchang, where the Winter Olympics are going to be held. Well, the, it's the 2012 World Expo spot. Or you can go all the way down to Pusan as well on this mm -hmm. bus. Yeah, and they're linking Pyeongchang to Pusan for the Olympics. I think um, 
Cynthia, this is probably playing into what you've just mentioned, but they're having a special shuttle run down that entire coast and doing city stops along the way. And there are people. events all along the way. There the are not a, no, so not Olympic specific events, but they're using that as an opportunity for people that have traveled to see the Olympics to get into other cities that are sure. down that coast. Sure. And so they're providing that that shuttle and that transportation system to go all along the coast for people that want to take trips to these different cities where there are these amazing Buddhist temples and, like I said, Confucian societies and just things that represent a part of Korean culture that you don't find in Seoul yeah. as easily. Yeah. Mm. The K shuttle is designed to get foreign tourists out of Seoul. <laughs> just go see somewhere else so you can book tours out of Seoul. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I it sounds great on the surface of it, and I think for people – even if you're not an Olympics fan, and even if you can't get tickets to Olympic events or like whatever, these are great opportunities to take advantage of infrastructure and programs that have been created for the Olympics. Right. Exactly. From here on out, those structures are going to be They in are place. there, yeah. yeah. And this is part of what the Olympics do in these kind of destinations is they really transform the infrastructure and you can take advantage of that it, as a Yeah, traveler. if it's properly managed. And I have to say, with a place like Korea, I think they've It'll done a prop- really yeah. great job. Like yeah. the high-speed train, they f- completed it in June. They're not launching it until December and they're taking six months to do trial runs to make sure there are absolutely no kinks, I mean, which will mean... But by the time people start using in December, it will be flawless. Yeah, so. totally, totally. So another place. Another place. I yeah. just Segway. want to hop on this. Yes. Yeah. Where train travel is kind of integral to the whole experience mm-hmm. in a very, very different way is India. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> another large <laughs> And in place. a very different way maybe than As the high-speed luxury. As he passes the bottle. <laughs> pass the bottle. Can, can you do tequila? India in five minutes? Seth? Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. We're running out of time here. Um, so that, that's actually a great point, Laura. You can't do India in five minutes. You can't do India in a lifetime. I mean, it's called a subcontinent for a reason. The diversity of experiences you can have, of terrain, of people, it's totally astounding. I mean, you're talking about a place that has 122 major languages and like literally thousands of dialects. I lived in India for five and a half years. I'm- Where were you in India? I was in Delhi. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the heart of the maelstrom. Um, <laughs> I, I come from partially Indian heritage and I have never been south of Goa. So it kind of shows you how much time you need to see this place. And if you're going to try to do India on a single trip, it's just it's literally impossible unless you're going to spend two years on that trip. So, I mean, the biggest thing... Where do you dive in? Again, it depends on what you're going for. So if you want to see India's cosmopolitan side, you take a trip to Mumbai and that's your trip because you can spend two weeks in Mumbai. Oh, God, yes. Like, please. Yeah. Um, And and just scratch the surface. Um, If you're looking to see the more laid back, relaxed side of India, you, you get a houseboat in Kerala in the south, you know, and, and kind of just float along these beautiful backwaters. There's a state called Rajasthan, so it's mostly desert, close to Delhi. Um, but that's where you're going to find like all those beautiful palaces. Right, exactly. That's and, where you're going to find like, yeah, you know, these, the these lake palaces you've mm-hmm. heard of and like s- entire cities made of a single type of yellow sandstone, you know, like it's just totally, you know, can go from one city that's entirely blue to another that's entirely yellow to another that's entirely pink in like in three days. And that's actually a trip that I've done. And this is going to sound crazy because it's India by road. Um, And it's not that insane. Why does that sound crazy? Like, educate me. Just because because of the infrastructure in India is not great. You're talking about a country of 1.2 billion people. So traffic's kind of insane. But when we did that trip, you know, no one in my family was doing the driving. It's the kind of thing where we like rented a van that came with a driver. We plotted out the route that we wanted to do. The driver, you know, we paid for the driver's accommodation every night and just kind of enjoyed the journey. Uh, so like Rajasthan's a great place to do a trip like that. And talking about family trips, I mean, it's not for like the faint hearted, but it was one of the greatest family trips that I've done. And I was I was like. I was eight, maybe, mm-hmm. when and, we did that trip. And I will say, too, or a place like Rajasthan, or India, at a lot of places in general, but there are such great, comfortable Indian-bred hotel and brands. That, and that's, that that's relatively so, recent, too, which is yeah, it's, it's growing, but it's too. But it's become, yeah. you know, India might have been this place that would have appealed to sort of more boho backpacker or whatever, mm-hmm. but the, there's a real high level of industry infrastructure in India now as well. So you can enjoy those things about Rajasthan and have these beautiful hotel experiences as well, if you're worried about that. And there, you know, there's something I'll say about it. And it is like, it's a little bit sweeping, but I feel like I can get away with it because I am of Indian (laughs) heritage. Um, (laughs) 
So well, the that, rest that, of us will be silent now. That's <laughs> that, that, that's my disclaimer for any like Indians hear this who get all, who get who are going to get pissed off by this. But I think it is true, and you hear this about India when you're living there, is that people either hate it or just fall completely head over heels in love with it, because and I think that's a result of it just being this country of extremes. You see extreme beauty and you see some really ugly things. You just have to follow the news to see that, you know. Um, you see extreme wealth and you see extreme poverty. Yeah. And I think because of that, it just creates this kind of atmosphere that either just grabs you because you've never seen anything like it and it just like pulls you in. You just want to see more and more and more and experience more and more and more. Or you're immediately like, nope, not for me, you know. Just to stand in for the naive user, which I am at this point, where's the place to start to figure out which one of those it is for you? I have never been to India, so Seb will absolutely answer this question in a more informed way than I ever could. My gut tells me it's Mumbai, Mm -hmm. because Mumbai will appeal to people that might be not so ready to throw themselves into the gut of India in a way that might romance others, because it's a very cosmopolitan city. Yes, you're going to get the, of course, you're going to have the the, the slums, but you're also Mm going to have the sweeping wealth that comes with India, which you might feel a little more comfortable with, and it might be a good starting off point what what do you say that might be true in terms of like if you're a city person i'd say yes that's the city don't go to delhi sure you're likely to hate it on first glance (laughs) and i I live there and i can you know it is Mm -hmm. it's just insanity yeah it's total insanity it's crazy but if you're not talking about cities i would put a trip through rajasthan in that category Mm because you'll see a lot of that too um you know like you hit jaipur jodhpur udaipur jaisalmer these old cities that have, are so remarkably preserved and there's such beautiful and craftsmanship in yeah cities yeah as and well, there's right? great we have a great kind of shopping guide to jaipur on our site that you can check out so there's contemporary things going on that too. feels to me like a trip of a lifetime mm-hmm. right like that trip that you just said is yeah. those are places that one should see i think so yeah totally and i think if that's your first trip to india i think that's what you'll need to be like i'm coming back mm-hmm. or like that was eye opening but mm-hmm. but you know, I'm done here, and that's fine. It's not for everyone, you know. Okay, so Taj Mahal, yay or nay? Yes, you have to see it. I mean, it's Oh, like, Laura, was that a serious question? Well, here's the thing. No, Laura has a point. <laughs> Look, Laura has like, a point. Pol- I don't know, it's changing colors. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, been polluted. Like, it, And do we often recommend major tourist attractions? I don't know. No, that, Laura has a point. One of my I was, favorites I'm speak. in defense of major tourist attractions, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I was, I was right. the one who skipped the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona oh. and got so much shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're popular for a reason, folks. But here's the thing about the like, one of the most magical places I saw, on earth. I saw it from the outside. Like I had 12 hours. I wasn't going to spend three of them waiting to get in. But We're, the best was. three hours you would spend. <laughs> um, Laura's a good point because Taj Mahal is amazing, and there's a few other temples and forts around it that are unbelievable. The city of Agra that it's in, not so much. So like you're going really out of your way to just see this place. So it is, it is a calculus, you know, it's not like you're in Jaipur, for instance, like seeing all this history everywhere. And then you're like, okay, yeah, of course I'll go see the Taj Mahal. Like this is a destination trip. You're going to see the Taj Mahal. Right. Right. And it might be shitty weather Mm -hmm. and it might be super crowded. Mm -hmm. Like Laura was saying, there's huge smog and pollution problems. You might have to get really up close to even see it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing is you can get up close. You can walk in it. You can walk through these marble halls and like see the old air conditioning system that they used with aqueducts running through it and see this just master craftsmanship that went into it and I think it is worth seeing. Worth the detour. The conclusion is yes. <laughs> there's seven wonders of the world and it's one of them, right? Yeah. It's there's it's only seven. Well, there's some new wonders well, There's a too. natural wonders and then the man-made Burj Khalifa has been thrown in there now. In Dubai, <laughs> okay. right? yeah. Oh my God, really? No, that was okay. a joke. That was a joke. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. It's only a matter of time. So, so I would love to know where you would each want to go next in yeah. Southeast Asia. Maybe we close it up with that. Yeah. 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 That's good. Okay. Aaron. Well, I'll start. And this is a way to, frankly, work in a country that I think we should really be talking about, which is the Philippines. I have been to the Philippines. I've spent a lot of time in the Philippines. But it's one of the most surprising countries in that the islands are absolutely stunning. And it has this very unique hybrid culture, which I think a lot of people sort of dismissed it for in the past, but have come to sort of embrace it for, which is that, you know, it's 
English speaking as much as it is Tagalog speaking because of the American colonialization of it after World War II. Uh, it's heavily Catholic, which is so rare for Asia. It and, and and people have these names like you know Maria de la Paz Veracruz, <laughs> but they all look like they're Southeast Asian. There, it is like if the world were ever going to become more and more globalized, like the Philippines in a very weird way is kind of a representation of that. It's kind of like a head start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's such an anomaly the way it's come about. Now, I, you know, it definitely listen, it, it has its problems, but. The Filipino people are some of the most gracious and so lovely. The food is, I would say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Filipino food is now the trendiest food in America, that one of the best restaurants in America is Bad Saint in Washington, D.C. That's all Filipino. And when you go to Manila, which I've spent a lot of time in, Manila is like a city like Jakarta. I mean, it's not for everybody. I can see why you wouldn't want to spend a lot of time there, but if you want to invest in it, you're going to enjoy it. But, you know, they have these massive, uh, their national dish is called lichon, which is a Spanish word for suckling pig, which is the big pig roast, and it is the most delicious thing you've ever eaten. But the most magical thing is the islands that you have access to. And I'm telling you, if you go just snorkeling in knee-deep water off the coast of any Filipino island, you will never be able to snorkel in the Great Barrier Reef in Mexico. It, it will spoil you. because Also, the is, Great Barrier Reef is dead. So. All right. Well, right. that's true. But it's it's I, I, it's getting more attention, Sad. but it doesn't have as much attention as I think it probably should. But beaches alone, I mean, the beaches are great, but the food is fantastic and the people are gracious. And again, if you're intimidated by your first trip to Asia, a lot of English speaking, which helps. Mm -hmm. What if I'm intimidated by Duterte? Uh, yeah, I uh, I agree with Say you. No I also kind of am intimidated. <laughs> Do by not. Just don't bring Spark drugs it. in your bag. And you'll be <laughs> fine, guys. Seb? Um... I wish I had as eloquent a reasoning behind this, but I think it's more that I'm I'm really into like fantasy books, really like deep fantasy, like Nerd. old medieval. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Nerd alert. Nerd. And the, oh the country of Bhutan to me feels like something out of a fantasy book. And this is all this sounds this is going to sound very ignorant and everything, but it's just like what I've read about it, what I've seen about it is just like this Shangri-La that emerges from the mist in the Himalayan mountains is the way I look at it. So that's number one on my list in Asia right now. I would like to go there. Please take me there. And they have um, they have very hyper-controlled tourism, I might add, to Bhutan, yeah. which actually adds to its mystique because yeah. they sort of pioneered the ecotourism model wherein the government limits the amount of people that can enter in order to preserve it. You have it, to pay so. a daily fee mm -hmm. to the government to stay in Bhutan. Mm -hmm. That's how they keep people out. Laura, what's yours? I think Myanmar. <laughs> I couldn't go when I was last. I mean, I, I lived in Singapore a decade ago and did a lot of traveling at that time. And at that point, like my husband went and he kind of went in a uh, illegal way, maybe. Sorry, husband. On um, the record. On the record. <laughs> Just putting no, it out there. <laughs> it was a little. What's his complete name back. and his passport number? <laughs> Perhaps. We don't know. It might have been. Right. Um, but, I, you know, I want to go to Yangon. I want to see the temples. Um I don't know how long I would stay. I think it would be an add-on to a trip that might include Laos, too, because I never made it here there. Here she goes. Here goes Laura. Uh, also maybe <laughs> Cambodia. Maybe I have Singapore five again. days here. The and, seven countries I will go to. And why not India? Like, let's just throw it in there. So uh, those two. Cynthia? Fine. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So of the places I haven't been, um, a very I got to A very small crowd, by the way. Well, you know, I just can't quit Hong Kong. And I, obviously, I've been there many times, but I was just uh, looking into an airfare deal on HK Express to Saipan, which is not Southeast Asia. It's the Mariana Islands in the Pacific. But it was like $150 round trip from Hong Kong to Saipan. And I'm like, shoot, I'll go to Hong Kong, you know, have three days in Saipan and then chill in Hong Kong for the rest of the week. But if I had to pick somewhere that I absolutely haven't been, it's Ishigaki, which is this Japanese island that's slightly east of Taiwan. And you can you can hop there from Okinawa. You can get low-cost flights from mainland Japan. And it's just, I mean, what you were talking about with the Philippines, with the, the reef snorkeling, I've heard, is incredible. I'm a scuba diver, so I want to get all up in that. And the <laughs> food culture there is very much like you hear about Okinawa, where it's all very seasonal, fresh, local, you know, very tropical as well. And um, the Japanese specialties there are renowned throughout Japan. So, yeah, 
Ishigaki. Ishigaki. Great. What about you, Brad? Vietnam. I taught a course in a former life uh, when I was in grad school on the literature of the Vietnam War. And that is the perspective that I have on all these places. And I actually, I really, really, really want to go and visit. And I want to see, I'm also a foodie and, you know, everybody who's been there that I've talked to has said, like, this is just one of the most amazing food places on earth. And I really don't feel like I can ignore that. It's got to be there sometime in in the near future. I'm I'm super happy that we went to Tokyo and, and Kyoto, but really want to go to Vietnam, high on the list. So... With that, let's bring it to a close. We have done our duty on Asia Part 2. Maybe there's a Part 3 in the future. We shall see. It's talked about again, the Middle East, which is exactly a, a very Asia, large right? place. So, Did we talk uh, about Malaysia either? We, we haven't done We have not even talked about talked. Malaysia. We just, again, yeah. okay, so we're going to have a Part 3. There's a Part 3. Okay. <laughs> Somewhere in the future, someone needs to plan, like, request that we do Part 3. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. We've called that out a bunch of times today. Please do check it out. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and the Snapchat. And please do tweet at us as you saw from today. We will spin up a podcast episode just for you. Why Plan don't you rap about it, Brad? For you. I, I, that's not really a thing. <laughs> I'm capable like of. <laughs> you look like you're moving towards Um And do send us feedback and review us on iTunes because we read that stuff too and we do uh, love to hear what you have to say. Laura, how can people get in touch with you? Even though you are still on leave and you will not respond. Don't get in touch with me. I will not respond at all. Actually, I did respond on Twitter. You certainly did. All right. Twitter at Danon825 and Instagram at Laura underscore Redmond, though it's mostly baby photos right now. Baby photos are great. Cynthia. (laughs) I'm at Jet Set City on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're in the Netherlands, I'll be in the town of Zwolle over the next few days hanging out in a bookstore that's a former cathedral. Weird. I'm going to be there too. I'll see you there. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. <laughs> Joke. Okay. I'm going to be there two Zwolle weeks from now. That's too bad. Oh, I just missed you at the bookstore. Erin. <laughs> I am Erin underscore Florio on Instagram. Seb. I'm at Seb Modak on the social things. I'm at Brad Rick. Have a great weekend. Thanks to all of you for coming and doing this. And thanks to everybody for listening in. Have a great weekend. Bye.